Welcome to another episode of Studies in Empathy, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring empathy and patient experience. I'm your host, Steph Fair, Senior Director of the Office of Patient Experience here at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm very pleased to have with me today, Dr. Cassandra Garo. Dr. Garo, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. Now, I'm told that I'm a, I can call you Cassie, right? Yes, please. Perfect. <laughs> Um, you're a third year mm-hmm. internal medicine resident at the Cleveland Clinic. Yes. Uh, graduated in 2020 from the Turo College of Osteopathic Medicine, where you served as a vice president of the International Medicine Club. Mm-hmm. As a medical student, you visited Haiti along with other students and physicians and together provided care to nearly 1,000 patients. Yeah. I know you're passionate about helping others and you chose to pursue medicine because it gives you the opportunity to impact lives in a positive and powerful way. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm super excited, too, because you were recognized in 2021 as the Cleveland Clinic Hero Huddle. Yeah. For the personal impact you had on one of your patients. So we're going to talk about that in a bit, too. For sure. So... We're so excited to get going. Uh-huh. Let's do this. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> First off, congratulations. Thank you. Graduation. It's officially happened, right? It's happened. It's crazy to say. We have graduate residency. You know, when you've prayed so much to get to a certain point, then you're there and you're like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's now? What in the world? <laughs> so what's next for you? Okay, so for this next year, I'll be working here. So I'm not moving anywhere. We're staying in Cleveland. Yay. I'll be working in the cardiology department as a cardiology hospitalist. So essentially, I will be admitting patients to the floor and cross-covering the different cardiology services. And then this summer, I'm applying for fellowship for cardiology too. So this is a huge transition. I'm excited, but also a little nervous. <laughs> but we got this. You got <laughs> what an incredible milestone, though. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about you and your background. Okay. What inspired you to become a doctor? I would say, so we'll have to take it all the way back. So my pa- my parents, they had emigrated from Haiti when they're in their like young adult age. They didn't know each other. They met each other here. I love that. <laughs> but growing up, we always heard stories about how hard it was to get medical care there and having to go for miles, maybe that hospital didn't have the resources. So I kind of already had that inkling in the back of my mind. And then in high school, this is like kind of weird to say, but my mom made me shadow her OBGYN. Don't worry, she wasn't a patient while I'm shadowing. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying. (laughs) We gotta clarify that. (laughs) But it was just so nice to get that first light of the patient-doctor relationship. And then um, in high school, like when I was 16, I went to this event. It was called the National Youth Leadership Forum on Medicine. And it was at Georgetown. Wow. So it was a bunch of teenagers going to Georgetown, doing these different activities. And also a random thing to say, I saw my first C-section there. And then that when like, you catapulted s- me. When you're in high school? In high school. I was the only one not cringing in the room. That's incredible. (laughs) And it's so, okay, so not to go on a tangent, but it wasn't until I was a med student doing my third year clinical rotations, actually on OBGYN, when it hit me, why did they let us see that? (laughs) (laughs) This is like no like small feat. This can be a gruesome but also lovely procedure, but I don't know. 
did anyone pass out in that room? (laughs) Goodness gracious. (laughs) But all of those different experiences just really led me to try to at least aim to become pre-med and then medicine. And then it was a wrap from there. Where did you grow up? So um, I grew up in New York. Anything above the Bronx is upstate. Oh, is that the line? That's the line. That's the line. However, actual upstate New York will never claim you like Rochester and Buffalo. (laughs) So I'm not sure if you know like where Westchester and Rockland County is. It's just up there. You got to pass. Well, it used to be called the Tappan Sea Bridge. It's no longer called that. But it's about like 30 to 60 minutes from the city, um, depending so on upstate. the traffic. So upstate. You grew up upstate. Yes. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned in the intro, but uh-huh. you were recognized as a Cleveland Clinic hero in our hero huddle process. Yeah. For the personal impact that you made on one of our patients. And for those listening that may not be familiar, I'm going to take a second and explain our hero huddles. This is where we look for individuals in our organization that go above and beyond the role. And they show up for patients in ways mm-hmm. beyond what the job would ordinarily call for. And we want to thank them and recognize that commitment because that's really what makes us who we are. Um, and with that, we, we give this recognition and we let our executive team know and, and the leadership of the hospital also has a chance to say thank you. So uh, upon uh, getting this hero, we don't often have medical interns. So you were an intern when you got yes. this. <laughs> it's really unusual to have that. Um, but what happened and from what I understand, and mm-hmm. this is where I'm hoping you'll fill me in, was that there was an urgent finding on a patient and you convinced the patient to turn the car around <sighs> And oh come back goodness. to the hospital for medical attention. Yes. Can you tell me more about? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So let me just paint the picture for you. <laughs> so you're coming in as an intern. And just for those who may not be like familiar with the medical process, an intern is someone who they graduated from medical school. And this is their first year of residency. And you're kind of like the ground runner for the team. There's a senior resident above you and attending physician above you. So when this happened, it was my last rotation of intern year. So this is the rotation where it's, I'm not going to say make or break, but you have to show forth that, you know, next week on July 1st, I'm ready to be a senior. So we were doing our rounds and the night team was presenting a patient to us. And as they're presenting, we got a page about the patient. The patient was quite disgruntled already. He wanted to leave. He already came for a second opinion from another facility where he had left AMA. AMA is against medical advice, exactly. right? Yep, correct, correct. As someone who, you know, you have never seen the patient before and you already know that there's a conflict and, you know, emotions may be running high, it could be a little bit of like worrisome, like first contact experience, you know? So we weren't really sure like how it was going to go. He was a gentleman that was middle age. He had some past medical history of um, coronary artery disease. He had a stent in the past. He was a smoker. He had a history of cancer in the past. And he was just coming in for something that, at first glance, seemed very nonchalant. 
as in, you know, my toe has been discolored for some months. I don't really know why it's this color. I'm just trying to figure out why this is. He wasn't feeling that much pain. He does a lot of work outside, very manual, is able to do his work. You know, this was just something peculiar, but it just catapulted into something that was very, very serious. Now, when we first met him, the big thing was, at least for me, when I see a patient that's angry, I don't want to just know like what's making them angry. I want to know why. So it's not you coming in five minutes late that they're angry. There's something underlying. So it takes a lot of maturity to yes, do that at yes. such a young part of your career. That's very impressive. Yeah. The biggest thing is really just to sit and listen and just try to have the patient feel heard because they didn't come in angry. It's something that continued to escalate. So throughout his stay on our service, um, he was on the internal medicine service, myself, my senior and my um, attending, we really spent a lot of time trying to figure out why do you have so much mistrust in the system? Because that's where a lot of his anger was coming from, feeling offensive, making sure he has to advocate for himself, like really going through for fine comb through all the details of the plan, the management. And it ended up being such a lovely experience. Him and his wife just opened up. Like once they realized that, listen, we're actually on the same side. <laughs> he ended up opening up to me about just a horrible experience that he had in the past where he really had to take the reins upon himself to get himself the proper like medical attention. So for me, the biggest thing was building rapport with him, like building trust with him. And we were doing this every single day. So when it came time for that fateful day, essentially we were waiting on something called an echocardiogram, that's an ultrasound of the heart. And we really want to see what the results of his is. Just based on the different um, disease processes that we've seen during his admission, but it was Father's Day weekend, and throughout this whole week, he's been telling me like how close he is with his children. Family is huge for him. This is what motivates him to get up in the morning and everything, and he just wants to go home to his boys. So, oh my goodness, we set up everything where he would literally leave on Friday, come back on Monday, he'll finish the rest of his procedures. I called his primary care doctor, everything's set up. We just needed this ultrasound of the heart. I'm calling Echo all day. Can we get a tag, please, please, please? So we get the ultrasound. He has all his things packed. He has his pants on, everything ready to go. He's leaving. He's just leaving patient gown, nowhere to be seen. <laughs> I can't convince him to stay for the results. So I'm like, all right, if anything pops up the results, I will call you. But for now, here's your list of appointments. You're coming back on Monday. Enjoy Father's Day and what have you. We do the ultrasounds. We're waiting for the results to come back. Patient left. Mind you, it's not even long, like within 10 minutes. I'm looking at the ultrasound as it's coming back on our um, computer system. I'm like, you know, I'm not a cardiologist, but this doesn't look normal. <laughs> and then in the same line, my pager goes off. Of course, it's the cardiologist that's reading the echoes that day. He's like, um, so... This patient has wall motion abnormalities, meaning there's certain parts of the heart muscle that is not moving or contracting properly, and that's the issue. And by the way, there's a blood clot in the heart. 
So, of course, so many things are going through my mind. But the biggest thing is I need this patient to come back right now. I need to keep the patient safe. <laughs> he needs to come back right now. Oh, my goodness. So I think at that time, that's when I really had to, like, put my thinking cap on and stand on both of my feet and just make quick decisions. Because, of course, yes, I'm going to talk to my attending. Yes, I'm going to talk to my senior. But I need to make this call right now while he's still pos possibly in the vicinity <laughs> of the hospital. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so we were able to call. I mean, Hammer called him, of course. Hammer called his wife, calling his primary care doctor, called everyone. We finally got into contact with him. And literally, he says... If it wasn't for you specifically, I would not have come back. Oh, so wow. it was actually that trust that I've built with him and the team built with him throughout his stay here that brought him back and was able to get, you know, that further medical care and workup that he needed. You know, there's a there's a saying and I believe in it that trust is gained in drops and lost yeah. in buckets. Yes. And yes, you said yes. that you had to build that trust day by day by proving and standing by what you said mm -hmm. um, and we can lose that so quickly oh my goodness so yes. it's amazing that you were able to build that rapport and, and convince the patient and, and save his life yeah for sure i understand that you actually waited hours past the end of your shift yes. to make sure that he returned <laughs> completely <laughs> thank you for doing that oh that's no problem when um you were given the hero huddle and you were asked about that dedication uh -huh. and deserving patients i'm told that you said what if this patient was my mother my father my child or even myself yeah putting yourself in someone else's shoes well that's the epitome of empathy mm -hmm. does that empathetic approach, does it come easily for you, naturally for you? How do you develop that? So I would say it's kind of twofold. Yes, there's an element that does come naturally to me. I think at least what I tend to do, I've had like my own set of challenges, at least coming into the medical field. What I typically do is I lean back on my difficult experiences and I remember how I felt during those experiences and things that I've overcome. And I use that to lead me through what the patient could be feeling. So as I had said when I was explaining about like dealing with a patient that may be a difficult patient or maybe an angry patient and wanting to know like what is driving that, that specific thing is what helps you connect with that patient. And it kind of just brings in like the humanism of the patient and it just becomes so much more than a person or a room number or somebody you just see on the computer and you're writing in orders for them. Like they're a human being. There's some studies that say when we, um, there's a radiology study actually, as we're talking radiology, that once they attach the picture of the patient to the results, they're more accurate. Yeah. That once yeah. you see people as people and not just bed space Yes. that we give better quality care and, and safer care. Uh, it, it takes a lot of maturity, though, to be able to lean into empathy the way you do and, and to be able to put yourself out there. So yeah. I, I commend you for being able oh, to do that so soon you. in your career. As you think about medical training, mm -hmm. uh, do you think there's a focus and the value of empathy through your education? Or are there things that we could do in a medical program, a medical school or a residency program that could enhance that? Mm -hmm. I would say anyone who's either gone to medical school, PA, nursing, no one can deny that they haven't heard the word empathy or compassion 
or something of that sort. I would say it's more so how specifically is it taught? Is it in lecture form? So I think the, one of my first experiences is um, as a medical student, we were in cadaver lab. <laughs> and essentially, these are folks who dedicated their bodies to the study of medicine. What one of, she was actually my advisor, and she was also um, the professor for anatomy. But what she did was she took off all of the handkerchiefs off every cadaver's face. Because often, let's say you're a medical student, you're so stressed about anatomy, you just want to learn X, Y, and Z, what's this nerve, what's this blood vessel, and you forget that that's a person. This is not like a mannequin or a dummy. It's an actual person who's had a life, had family, had their own hopes and dreams. So what she did for us is she made us look at all of their faces and read the notes. A lot of them did write a note, um, when they declared that they want their body to go to medicine. And, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I remember hearing one of the notes and I was crying in the corner and I didn't want to look like, you know, I wasn't tough enough <laughs> the first time in cadaver lab. But it's those instances that, as I said, going back to the human portion, that brings that out. Now, when it comes to like trying to make like a curriculum or something, as I said, that is very difficult. In my experience, so we have a set of board exams as a medical student. There used to be a specific part of the exam. If they were like an MD student, it was something called clinical skills. If you're a DO student, this was called um, physical exam or PE. This is an exam that shows how you interact with patients. Um, we no longer have it due to COVID, <laughs> but there's a humanistic sector of the exam that you actually get um, scored upon. But as I said, it's really just gonna be really your experiences. And maybe I would say whether it's med school or residency, having time carved out to actually reflect about your patient experiences and how you felt during them, maybe thinking oh, how that patient felt, because exercising that will actually lead you a little bit more to discernment when you encounter someone in the future. That is very insightful. And I, I love the idea that first you've got to make space to recognize it yeah. and to feel it. Mm -hmm. And then you can then take action on it. Exactly. One of the, the actions that we tend to teach from a skill building perspective with empathy is communication. Because mm -hmm. so much of how people receive empathy is what we say. Um, what ways were you able to develop communication skills? You clearly have exceptional skills. <laughs> uh, how were you able to develop skills in your training, though? Were there behaviors that you saw in mentors or others mm. that were teachable moments for you? Yes. So I would say being able to observe someone's bedside manner works wonders. I'm the type of person where I really want to feel connected to my patients. I want that patient to trust me. I want the patient to most importantly feel safe. So when I interact with my attendings or even in med school, the attendings that I'm shadowing or even when I was pre-med 
or as a, working as a scribe, working with the attendings, I would always watch super closely, one, like how they speak to the patient. Do they let the patient talk to them? <laughs> are they interrupting the patient? Are, do they have one foot out the door? Are they sitting in the room? And I'll never forget, there's just simple things like holding the patient's hand or sitting down or remember, if this is like a longitudinal patient, you see them multiple times, remembering something that's maybe like non-medical about the patient and just seeing how the patient like lights up and how much they open up. Those are all things that I kind of like put in my toolbox. <laughs> so when it came time to, now I'm a doctor and I have my patients in my clinic as an internal medicine uh, resident, we do have a primary care clinic and we see these patients every five weeks. So you build a wonderful rapport with them. And the big things, I just really want my patients to feel safe with me. So in terms of communication skills, that could be just letting them speak. It could be speaking, speaking in a tone that's not super loud, even though I am a loud person. <laughs> Reading body language is a huge one. Even if they're just making eye contact with you, if they're looking at the ground, if their chin is down, all these little things help to paint a, a picture and it just gives you better perspective. And then at a point when the patient, when or if the patient does feel comfortable, they'll open up to you. And for me, when that happens and they cross that threshold, it's such an honor for me. <laughs> it's something where you're just like, wow, I might be the only person that knows this information about the patient. And that's just so special to me. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And I, I want to reflect back some of the behaviors that we teach in our empathy skills that you mentioned without maybe even realizing, but you said, when uh, providers have like one foot out the door. Mm -hmm. It's so true that patients pick up on how far we are into the room. Yes. Um, when we sit down and sitting down, you don't have to spend any more time, but patients perceive that you did if you sit down and, and go eye level with them mm -hmm. rather than hover over them. Yep. Um, and I love that if I can pick up something about a patient that's not related to who they are in this patient setting, Yeah. that's such a way to build relationships. And studies actually show that the reverse of what we think happens. And we think if we care too much, we're going to burn out. It, mm -hmm. It's actually the opposite. I know. When you care <laughs> and you build connections, that's actually the study show keeping us going and giving us that resilience. Mm -hmm. So you're on your way, man. <laughs> that's literally what gets me through a hard service. Um, not to go on a tangent, but uh, it was this year I was on service with one of my uh, mentors and advisor, Dr. Donato. Hey, <laughs> She's so and good. we just our service just had like a lot of very, very sick patients, complicated past medical histories, complicated home situations. And we were getting in the hospital very early, leaving super late. You go home, you eat, you go to sleep. And it was just very, very easy to feel burned out. And one thing that I do, and people might look at me crazy, but instead of going home, I go to one of my patients' rooms. <laughs> and I still, there are three patients. I would always just go in and check in on them again. And I would just sit down next to them and we would chat for like five, 10 minutes. And you just, 
all the like stress and worry from the day just kind of like settles and dissipates and the patient's really excited that you came back to their room again after round. Absolutely. You're- <laughs> so I'm like, yes, I'm helping you, but you don't know how much you're helping me too. On that note. It's so sweet. It's so great. We, we talk a lot about doctors being everything to patients, but did you see it being a resident's not easy? Oh. Le- the workload, the hours on the, on the day-to-day basis, the the grind that you have to do. Tell me about it. <laughs> Did you find uh, situations in which patients were empathetic towards you? Oh my goodness, yes. So, okay, I'm going to give you two scenarios. Oh, good. <laughs> so the first one I would say, my intern year, we used to work 28-hour shifts. We don't work 20-hour shifts anymore. <laughs> but when patients realize that you've been working long hours, they get concerned. So you would see round on them in the daytime, you ran on them on the afternoon. You're still there at midnight. You're, the nurse is paging you. They want to talk to somebody. And they're like, you're wearing the same clothes? So you didn't go home? Did you eat today? <laughs> What's going on with you? So it's, I think it's so nice when patients actually like also take a step back and they see their physicians or PAs or nurse practitioners as human beings as well. Because it just helps the relationship gel a little bit more. I would say the next instance is in my primary care clinic because I, those patients, I have a really good relationship with them because I see them, you know, continuously. So when it was time for me to graduate and to hand off my patients, and why my patients? All my patients were devastated. (laughs) They're like, so what are you going to do now? Where are you going to be? Can I follow you there? What's going on? <laughs> what a compliment. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. And um, when you opened up this um, today's episode, you had asked me about like graduation and how it's feeling. And it's like, yes, I did have my graduation ceremony. I did get, you know, the wonderful certificate I can put in my future office. But for me, graduation was really my last week in my primary care clinic when I actually realized how much of an impact I made on my patients, like some of my patients were crying. I hugged them. We were walking arm in arm to the door. And I just realized like, wow, like I actually made a difference. Like they do see me in this positive light. They do care about what I think for them, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So <laughs> I'm going to leave it with giving you a chance to say, what question did I forget to ask you? Or what advice would you give another resident? What, what yeah. did we leave off the table that we should have talked about? I would say a lot of this episode, we spoke a lot about empathy between the provider and the patient. But I think it's super important to realize it's not limited to that. So let's say, you know, you're a resident yourself, have empathy for your intern. You were just an intern. You know how it feels or have empathy for your medical student. I think a big one is having empathy for your attending. Oftentimes we put our attendings on pedestals, like they know everything, they know exactly what they're doing. You know, they're at home sleeping as I'm working here. And a lot of times that's not even what's going on. And when your attending share opens up and shares with you how much they're doing, you're like, okay, you know, you don't, you can go home. I got this, <laughs> the patients are tucked in. But lastly, I would say have empathy for yourself. 
we go through so many traumatic experiences, whether you're aware of it or not, whether it's breaking bad news or whether it's, you know, seeing a patient pass away or, you know, just doing something happy, just getting through your long shift, you're on call. We're always moving forward to the next thing. Like, okay, let's get into residency. Let's get into fellowship. I need this job. Oh my God, am I doing research? Am I doing this? There's always something forward that we're looking towards, but we just need time to look within and realize, you know, this may have been a bad day, but I have a 100% success rate of surviving all of my bad days. I'm still here. So have empathy for yourself, I would say. Well, I can't improve upon that. You are go- you're already a phenomenal doctor <laughs> with this focus and empathy and, and the way that you care. Thank you for staying with us for a little longer and, oh, of course. and for what you're going to give to this medical profession of ours here. So thank you. No problem. It's my pleasure. This concludes the Studies and Empathy podcast. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, my.clevelandclinic.org forward slash podcast. Subscribe to the Studies and Empathy podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.